Hey, let's uh, open up your Bibles, please. We're going to pick uh, back up where we left off a couple of weeks ago. So open up your Bibles to the book of Galatians, which is today in chapter three. Uh, just let's um, let's just read through the first five verses with me and then we'll take it verse by verse. Oh, foolish Galatians. Who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified. This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? Have you suffered so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Therefore, he, the Father, who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Father, again, we thank you for this morning, Lord, and we we pray, Holy Spirit, you illuminate your word to us this morning. As we look at this and ponder on these things, speak to our hearts individually, Lord, corporately, Lord, but make it personal. So personal that we cannot ignore the voice of your still small voice speaking to us this morning, changing us, encouraging us, even rebuking us, Lord, in the things you have for us to mold us and shape us, to sanctify us. Come here, we sit at your feet, and we partake of what you have for us this morning. In Jesus' name, and we all said, amen. If you're just joining us here in the book of Galatians, I will remind you that the book of Galatians is broken up into three parts. We have the very first part that we finished a couple of weeks ago, which was chapters one and two, which is the personal observation or experience of grace that Paul uh, realized. And Paul explains how God delivered him from such bondage of sin and such bondage of even legalism and religiosity that it could not ignore the fact that he had been changed, that God had come in and, and brought him into a new life and changed his life because he, God, Jesus himself revealed him there on the, uh, on the road of Damascus to a point where he could not ignore that Jesus was Lord and he was the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, that he has certainly talked about and read about, but now he's personally experienced. And he put his belief, his trust in Jesus Christ alone, by faith alone. Justification by faith. And we learn the fact that So many people can talk about God. They can talk about God in people's other people's lives. But the question was, did you have a personal experience like Paul did? And were you regenerated or born again by God revealing himself to you personally? Now, today we start the second part. We start the second part, which is chapters three and four, which is the doctrinal instructions or the explanation about grace. 
We saw the personal observation or the experience with grace that Paul talked about. But now Paul's going to talk about the doctrinal instruction or the explanation about grace. And we'll see that in chapters 3 and 4, showing the relationship between the law and grace. And then, of course, we'll eventually get to the third part, which is chapters 5 and 6. And that is the actual practical application or the exercise, the actual doing of grace. And he closes this that le- the letter in Galatians by telling you and I how to enjoy grace and freedom in our daily Christian life. And what a great book, the book of Galatians. It's one of my favorite books. Now, last week or a couple of weeks ago, we, we closed with Paul's observation, of course, of his experience with grace. But if Paul established two key things for us, if you remember. And he was talking to the Galatian church here and for us today that the divine origin of his apostleship and his calling on one's life is a calling that comes from God. That's not, it's not man-made. It's not some church organization made. But it's a calling that God puts on a person's life. And the second thing is the message that Paul was teaching, the message that God, uh, that he puts out to people, it comes from God. It doesn't come from man and it doesn't come from himself. But the second part, obviously, is the message gave, the, the message that God gave him, he repeated wherever God allowed him to do that. Simple. God gives you a calling in your life gives you the simple message of the good news of Jesus Christ. And he says, go forth and just tell everybody the good news. And it's no more complicated than that. Because the Holy Spirit works in and through your life to touch the lives of other people around you. Now, if you notice in Galatians 2, chapter uh, chapter 2, verse 20, do you notice he says, I have been crucified with Christ. I'm dead to myself now. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. That summarizes a life of a Christian life, a true Christian life, sold out, completely dead to self and living for Christ. That is a verse that summarizes it for you and I. When people ask you, what, 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 what's your life like? What do you, how is your life? And they try to figure out your life and why you don't do the things that other people do in the world. Why you don't think the way other people think. Just take them back to this verse. Memorize it and quote it and repeat it so people understand that it is not about you anymore. And what you can get out of this world but what God is doing through your life until he takes you home to bring 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 you personally into his presence. But Paul understood this, and he turned to the Galatians who were being misled to add to works to faith to keep the Mosaic law in addition to placing their faith in Jesus Christ as the foundation of acceptance before God. And he says, I cannot believe this. I mean, 
I, you understood the truth. You knew the truth. And he will continue doctrinally. He'll lay this out personally, a personal argument. There's quite the lawyer or quite the, the um, reasoner here as he goes through these several arguments that we will see in the scriptures or over the next chapter three. But he lays it out and says, how can you be misled from the basis of the truth that has been laid in front of you? These Judaizers, these false teachers that have crept and snuck in, as we saw in, in earlier chapters, they snuck in, they slithered in, and so quietly and so easily that people almost would even notice who these people were coming in. And they just gently and, and so, so lovingly seemed to just kind of cast doubts. And are you, wait a minute. You're a Jew and now you're saved by Jesus Christ. We understand that, but you cannot let go of the Jewish Mosaic law. You still need to get circumcised if you're a Gentile. You still need to keep that dietary kosher diet if you're a Jew to be saved. These things are so subtle and so creeped in, but, but no one took notice, it, it appears. These Judaizers, these false teachers, thought that the Galatian Christians would find a more complete and fulfilling salvation, a complete and filling Christian walk, a greater satisfaction in their walk if they would just obey these few things. The law. Oh, you really need to keep this tradition. Really get that, that religious feel. You must keep this ordinance and these, these special festivals and this special diet because if you do that, you'll feel more in touch with God. Why aren't you lighting these candles to really light up that relationship with God? It's so subtle and so weaving in as conversations how these false teachers or these religious people, these legalists, started weaving things into the conversations with the people. But Paul argued, as if you remember, to preach another gospel, is a, it is a gospel of bad news and not good news. And the solid basis of our relationship with God is his unmerited grace. And we have to remember that. It's not based on the law. God wants us to trust him for our salvation rather than relying on our own righteousness of faith. And we see that in Hebrews, as we read today, Hebrews 11.6 and Ephesians 2.8. Justification before God comes by faith in Jesus Christ. Period. Go back and read Acts 15, verses 7 through 11. Go back and read Romans 4.5. It's by justification, by faith. There can only be one way of salvation. And that is by faith alone in Christ alone. Period. And anyone who adds and or a but at the end, do not listen. Lovingly correct. <laughs> Lovingly redirect them back to the scriptures so that they obviously have been deceived and they need to know the truth. Now we see today as we pick up here in Galatians 
Paul's doctrinal instruction or explanation about grace. And he'll lay it out in in chapter 3 in three parts. The first part we'll take today is a personal argument, verses 1 through 5. And then we'll see the scriptural argument in verses 6 through 14. And then we will see the logical argument that Paul will give doctrinally 15 through 29. But we notice here in verse 1 of chapter 3, he starts off by really Paul's style, and that is blunt. He, he doesn't sugarcoat it. He's, he, he, I guess there was no snowflakes back in those days. Everyone were tough, and they were, oh, I was offended by what he said. No, I don't think they had that back in these days like we see today. But he says, oh, foolish Galatians. Now, he's not saying you're, you know, he's, they're dumb, they didn't understand. But if you look at the original language, the word foolish here, it means that they understood knowledge but did not keep it. They let it go. They let it, they let it, they took, they let their hand off of it. They let the, it's foolish. Here you are about to sink. You've got a life preserver and you have it and you're holding on to it and then you let go. That's foolish. You've been warned, don't do something because you can get hurt, but then you just take the step and go do it anyway. That is foolish. It's not like you didn't understand. It's not like you didn't know. He says, oh, foolish Galatians. But then he says, who has bewitched you? Who has put you into, who's confused you? Who's, who's, it's not like you've been um, satanically in touch. But the word here, bewitched, means you've, you've, you've been tricked. I know, look it over here, but look at here, you know, look it over. There's just diversions and distractions that people can come in. I know you need to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I totally believe you need a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. But have you considered how are you dressed? What songs are you playing? What does the building look like? It doesn't look very churchish to me. Name it. It, it, it is, it's a plethora of little subtleness that says you cannot be saved or you can't truly be a Christian if you don't do the. And how, what do you eat? Imagine we've got it easy today. There's no question. No one's going around looking to see who's been circumcised or not. I mean, we could be thankful for some things here. But imagine the challenges. But they were bewitched. Paul recognized you've been tricked. Who has been talking to you? Who have you been spending time with? Who are you listening to on that, on that, uh, on that website? What books have you been reading? Because there's things that are coming that are coming out of your mouth and you're adding, this doesn't line up with the scriptures. And so Paul's warning is that something, someone's bewitched you that you should not obey the truth. It's, it's not like it's not subtle here. It's these are not things that are saying, you know, you know, I, I really think, you know, you shouldn't be doing that. 
And it's probably subtle, and it's their, you know, that's their conviction that God has given them and that they can, should not do something. But God hasn't given you that conviction and hasn't had changed you. You have liberty to do those things. But really, Paul's saying here, they've actually taken you and have moving you away from the truth. They're actually moving you away from the foundational truths of Christianity. And that is very dangerous, Paul says. And it's like back then, they're even, you know, there's a sense where you, you know, you can be, you know, who are you looking into whose eyes? Because I'm telling you, when I came here into your area and I shared the good news of who Jesus Christ is, and then you gave your life to Jesus Christ by faith alone, in him alone, and you were following along with him, you had no problem. You looked into the eyes of Jesus and you knew that he was your savior and you gave your life to him. And Paul says, now someone's come in and tricked you. And it's no longer about keeping your eyes on Jesus. You're now bewitched. And now it was like Jesus was a portrait, a clear portrait, a billboard that you saw, everyone saw. This was about Jesus Christ, and that's what it was all about. Clearly portrayed among you as crucified, who went to the cross for you because he loves you that much. And someone has come in and said, but, and, you really can't give up. You really need to add the Jewish Mosaic law back into it. So it's no longer Jesus Christ. It's about the music. It's no longer about Jesus Christ. It's about a particular way or place or things you do. Or dress. The subtleness. And, and just like so quickly and so easily people can be distracted. Paul is sitting here. Personal argument here. You've got to keep focused here on Jesus Christ. Because if you take this wisdom that you've gained from those scriptures. And you don't do it and apply this knowledge correctly. Then that wisdom becomes very foolish. And to embrace a doctrine which declared the death of Christ unnecessary was irrational, he said in chapter 2, verse 21. So Paul says, I don't know what's going on with you guys there in Galatia, but some kind of evil spell or some evil influence has great influence in you. I'm telling you, parents, if you're not watching your children like a hawk, you, <laughs> you have to be diligently watching your children. Because the evilness that is sur surrounding our kids today, that is everywhere they turn, is trying to get their eyes off of Jesus and onto this, of the flesh or this world. And you must coach them through this. You must disciple them through this because be very careful who you allow to have an influence in your life and in your children's lives. And it comes in all forms, sizes, and shapes. Just encourage. Like Paul's encouraging the Galatians, keep 
your eyes always steadfastly upon Jesus. And anything or anyone that gets between you and your relationship with Jesus must be removed. There is no other way. Paul here points out that they, by the power of the Holy Spirit, was given to them by faith. Their eyes were open to see clearly who Jesus is and what he did for them. Paul knew that because he personally is the one who did that in that area. He's the one who started the church. There was no question about the foundation of their, their start and their walk with Christ. They knew exactly what was taught to them. And for you and I, by the Father's grace, saved us through Jesus' death on the cross. He was crucified. So when they left the message of Jesus, him and him crucified, they left the message that Paul preached. And when we see Jesus clearly before us, we will not be deceived. How does someone get deceived? They take their eyes off of Jesus. They stop being in the word of God and hearing and seeing him speak and, and reveal himself through his word. If you've been deceived, check what else you've been reading or what else you've been listening to. Because I assure you, if you're solidly Staying in the word of God, you will not be deceived. God will show you these other influences and how they are wrong and you need no touching. It's no Judas. It's just you don't partake and taste of it. And you just come back to the word and come back to the truth. Because this truth today, there are believers who know the truth, justification by faith, and there is only one way to God the Father, and there is, and that is to by believing and trusting in Jesus Christ. But friends and family and false teachers come and divert our focus and put us back into some traditions or some laws or some regulations or some man-made do's and don'ts. And you must be very careful. But he continues here in verse 2, and he says, this only I want to learn from you. Again, Paul's straightforward. I don't want to hear any other stories. I don't want to hear blah, blah, blah over here and tell me, oh, this such and such. Oh, this pastor and this reverend and, the, and, and oh, he was a great uh, diversion away from. No, no, let's talk about the word of God. No, no, no. Yeah, this guy's really good. You should have heard the, his story. I don't want to hear his story. I want to know God's story. I want to come back to the scriptures here. But he says, I don't want, there's only one thing I want to know from you. Did you receive the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Which one? He's bringing it back to the, he loves asking questions. Brings you back to the basics, right? And he's going to ask four questions of them, if you notice here in these, these four verses. And the very first question he has here is, how did you receive the Holy Spirit? That's the first question I have for you. When the Holy Spirit came inside and sealed you for eternity as a child of God, how did that happen? Was it the law? Or is it by hearing of faith? Of course, they knew. They knew it was the hearing of the word of God and the spirit of God touching them. They knew there was no other way. 
Paul points out to the very ti- the time of their conversion, when they received the Holy Spirit. Paul isn't questioning their salvation here, but challenging them to bring them back to the day when they were saved. When you find people struggling in their walk, maybe that's the very first question you should be asking yourself or, or a loved one. Do you remember your day of salvation? Do you remember the day when the Holy Spirit came in and regenerated and you were being born again? Do you remember that day? And by challenging, by Paul challenging to consider whether they were saved and received the Holy Spirit by faith or by the basis of works, they know without a question in their minds, you knew you could not earn it. You did not do enough good works and do enough things for the church or for whatever reason to know with inside that you were born again because of that reason. You knew where you were and when God, you heard the, God speak to your heart and you gave your life to Jesus Christ. You surrendered your life. You know when that happened and you know you weren't doing anything for it. Paul knew without a doubt, Paul preached the gospel of grace and they accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And there they they were Gentiles and these Gentiles had never heard or followed the Mosaic law. Keep that in mind. Here these Judaizers coming in telling they have to keep the Mosaic law and they say, wait a minute, I gave my life to Jesus Christ based on faith. I never even knew the Mosaic law. I never even heard the Mosaic Law. So now you're coming in and telling me what the law is, and I need to now follow this to be saved and have a, a per, that, that personal relationship with Jesus? Absolutely not, but they were still tricked into believing that, didn't they? And that's why Paul took them back to the basics. You heard, and then you believed, and you received. You did nothing for it. It's a free gift. And that's why we come to God on the basis of who he is and not on the basis of what we are or do. The door is always open to us when we approach him on the basis of his grace. But rarely open when we approach him on the basis of our or someone else's righteousness. You must come by faith. You can't sit there, well, my grandmother, she was a godly woman. And she took me to church every Sunday. And people believe they're saved because of that, of grandma's true relationship with God. Well, I was born in a Christian family. We went to church. Occasionally. Your parents do not save you. Being born within your household of godly parents doesn't save you. It's a personal relationship. And if we can fellowship with God in a love relationship, why would we ever choose a legal relationship Why would you have a 
have relationship with someone and then turn that and say, this is just a legal arrangement. Marriages that go from a loving relationship just to a legal relationship is wrong. God wants a relationship based on love. Not because you have to. Because he wants to. And so it's the same thing with God. He wants you to love him. Because he wants you to be saved. While we were still sinners, he still died for you on the cross. He was crucified. It's all about Jesus. Is your response going to be in love as well? Or do you think it's just a legal relationship that feeds into that? Paul says, absolutely not. Don't be bewitched. Come back to the truth of being saved by faith alone in Christ alone. It's called grace. Because remember, it's important that we understand that the ministry or the work of the Holy Spirit in salvation and in Christian living, what does the Holy Spirit do for you and for me? First of all, he convicts the lost sinner, does he not? That's his first ministry is to convict you and I that we are a sinner and it needs to be saved. He reveals who Jesus Christ is to you personally. John chapter 16, verses 8 through, th- 8 through 13. And yes, the Holy Spirit can convict a lost sinner, and that person can, that sinner can resist the Spirit and push back the Spirit moving in their life. We see that in Acts chapter 7, verse 51. Or, the Spirit can yield and come and yield to the Spirit and trust Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. It's a choice. That God gives each person when they're at an age of understanding. And when that sinner believes in Christ, he then is born of the Spirit. We see that in John chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. And receives a new life, a born-again experience. It is a regeneration that takes place. There should be no question in your mind when that took place because you got a new life. And if you've never experienced that new life, then today's the day you should. And give your life to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Ask him to come into your life by faith. Surrender your life. Because when you experience that born of the Spirit and that new life changes, then then you become part of the body or the family of God. He grafts you in, adopts you into the family of God. That's the third ministry of the Holy Spirit. And then he seals, we are sealed by the Holy Spirit, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. Convicts the lost sinner. Then he gives you a new life. You're born again. You become part of the body of Christ, the the family of God, 1 Corinthians 12, 13. And then you're sealed by the Holy Spirit, Ephesians 1, 13, as a guarantee that he and you and I will one day share in the glory of Christ. 
Paul is saying the Holy Spirit moved in your lives for this reason. Why did you allow man to bewitch you and take you away from that truth? Verse 3, are you so foolish? Having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? The Holy Spirit changed you, put you on the right path, that's straight, it's lit, it's clear, it's good, it's right. And you're choosing to go back on the windy, uncertain, dark roads? Back to the world, back to the old, old life? The flesh he's referring to here is not the body flesh, it's referring to the old nature. The old life is what he's referring. You, you began in the new spirit. You have a new, you've been born again. You've, you've, you've been transformed, changed, justified by faith. Like if you've never sinned before, your sin has been wiped away. Why would you start by the, what God has started in your life and then turn around and think you can then get control and see somehow you can perfect your life you can sanctify yourself in this walk with him and do that in the flesh by going back to the old life, by going back to the old nature, relying upon your, leaning on your own understanding and, and not acknowledging all your ways according to him. Why would you go back to the old way? Why would you go back to the law? Why would you go back to traditions and religiosity and legalism why would you go back to that it's just the flesh that's the second question he asked him how will you be sanctified what is sanctification growing in holiness living a life of godliness God changing you, molding you, and shaping you day by day by day through different things he allows in, in coming in and out of your life to make you more like Jesus. Not some man or some woman on this earth. But who Jesus is. Paul relates the spirit to our faith and flesh to our works. Paul asks, how foolish as to think they could begin the Christian life in one way by faith and move on to a spiritual maturity in another by works. I'm going to mature in my walk. I'm going to get better at it, this Christian life. If I just work harder and do more. It's not how it works, people. Allowing God to have a way in your life and allow him to work in and through you. The Galatians were deceived into thinking that the spiritual growth or maturity could be achieved through the works of the flesh instead of a continued simple faith abiding in Christ. But that's what the Judaizers provided. They had an agenda. Many false teachers, all false teachers and legalists have an agenda. It's their way of getting a hook in you. It's a way of getting a hook in you and then directing you to do what they want you to do for them. 
We have to be very careful. But this lays out one of the very most fundamental differences between the principle of law and the principle of grace. And I'll give it as simple, as clearly as I can give it to you for you to remember. Under the law, people think you can be blessed and grow spiritually by earning and deserving. God, I should be blessed because I read my Bible a whole two chapters today. I'll deserve blessing from you, God, because I haven't gone to church all four Sundays this month. I should be blessed, and I deserve because I didn't get lose my anger this, this, this last hour. But under grace, we are blessed and grow spiritually by believing and receiving. believe what God says and then we receive when he decides to give it's pretty simple God deals with you under the covenant of grace and we should not respond in the principle of law our faith produces fruit not fleshly works Fruit is, a na- is the natural result of a relationship with Jesus, Matthew 12, 33, and John 15, 8. God does not require us to do works we hate to do. He gives us and equips us for a particular ministry in the body of Christ, and then from that it would be just a natural and a joy and a peace that would fill our lives, 2 Corinthians 5.14, to just want to do those things for God. Not because we have to, but because we desire to love our God. And he wants to see the fruit of the Spirit in our lives which is produced by believing and abiding in Jesus, John 15, 1 through 8. And when we receive Jesus, God justified us and imputed the righteousness of Christ to us, and our works of the flesh do not add anything to our relationship with God. He is pleased by our faith in him. Taking steps of faith. Hebrews, as we read earlier, Hebrews eleven six. Just remember, this deception that Paul is telling them, the people there, you've been bewitched. This deception was cultivated by Satan to set our Christian life off track. And if he can't stop us from being saved by faith, then he will attempt to hinder our blessing and growth and maturity by faith by deceiving you and bewitching you and getting you off onto trinkets and and squirrel moments. And you must come back and keep your eyes on Jesus. In verse 4, have you suffered so many things in vain, if indeed 
it was in vain. Now we see a third, the third question that he asked him. Did you suffer in vain? Was it, was it all for nothing? Ever since giving your life to Christ, has it, was it all for nothing? All that suffering, that experiences that God has brought you with since you've given your life to Christ, you're now going to go be bewitched and be tricked by people of this world, these false teachers, these Judaizers, these legalists, to take you back into bondage? He's sitting here going, don't you understand and recognize us as what's happening to my life and what's happening in your life and the persecution has come against you? You're saying that was all in vain? It was, it was, it was, it was all for nothing? You were on fire for Christ and every time you were out there sharing with your family and sharing with your friends and, and all your neighbors and cousins and stuff and they kept mocking you and coming against you, you're saying that all that was in vain and you're going to go back to the old nature? The old ways? Remember, Paul and Barnabas stepped in their first missionary journey. They, they warned the Galatian converts that they would suffer as Christians. And we saw that in Acts 14, verses 21 and 22. They were warned, when we leave here, there are going to be false teachers coming in. They're going to try to dissuade you and take you off onto some tangents and get your eyes off of Jesus. And they're, you're going to be persecuted. And he warns them. And obviously, evidently, persecution soon followed because Paul reminded them that they turned from grace to back to the law. They would have suffered so much for nothing. But I think Paul had such a love for these people. And as he writes this letter to them, he's saying, but I don't believe that's really what you want. I really don't think you want to go back into these, this, this law stuff. I really don't think you want to be diverted away and have someone or something get between you and Jesus. I know that cannot be true. And he's trying to encourage them to come back to it. I mean, we know in Acts 14, Paul had suffered persecution in that region. And then obviously he was being persecuted and all of his companions were being persecuted. Obviously, no doubt these people were being persecuted and coming in and being taken advantage of by these people who were coming into the area following uh, Paul. But how true it is today. There's nothing new under the sun. Having personally watched and witnessed someone, this man, a man in front of you, give your life to Christ, and you see this man give his life to Christ, he's put his faith in Jesus Christ, he has let the old life go, and watch God do an incredible work in his life and see him changing and growing and desiring for the word of God and desiring to learn how to pray and desiring to be in godly fellowship and watch them grow. And, th and then all of a sudden you get to the point where you're now maturing and that person starts, God's going to start using them in the, for the kingdom, in the body. And then that's when Satan comes, bam. It's usually people that's closest to them. Family, oh, you, you need to, you need to, you're really getting a little too far into that stuff. Why don't you come back over here? This is where your roots were. You were raised Catholic. You were raised this. You were raised that. Or we're not that kind of a family. We never had a Bible. Why were you playing with that stuff? And then you get not being friendly with. 
Paul is saying, and, and even today, don't, be, don't turn away. Don't be bewildered. Stick to the truth. And nothing but the truth. And what a blessing the Bible says when a brother or a sister restores another brother or sister back to the faith. If you know someone today, just to know and really just on fire for the Lord, really is focused on the Lord, and you watch them and they're just, they're friends, they're, they're there, yes, they're brother and sister in the Lord, but they're just kind of lukewarm now. Or they're going back to the old ways of religiosity. I would encourage you today. Go out there and restore. Encourage them to put their eyes solely back on to Jesus. Because it might be you. You're the vessel that God would want to use for the sake of that person. Be strong and of good courage, my brothers and sisters, today. And go reach those Gifts kind of swayed away when they're taking their eyes off of Jesus. And then Paul here in verse 5, and we'll wrap it here. Therefore, he who supplies, he being the heavenly father, who supplies the spirit, the Holy Spirit to you and works miracles among you. Does he do it by the works of the law? Or by the hearing of faith? So we saw another question. On what basis did God perform miracles in your life? Was it because you followed the law? Because you did all the do's and don'ts and the checklists? How do I become a member at this church? Can I have the pamphlet, please? Can I have the checklist, checklist please? Because I want to go and make sure I click off all the checklists because I want to be a member here. You know how many times when someone has asked that to, for, asked me over the seven years here and, and my reply is we don't have membership here? It throws them into, I mean, they're like spinning. They're like, they don't know where to, like a cat, where do I land, you know? Because they are so used to coming from a legalistic perspective, a legiosity, and that says uh, you have to follow rules and regulations and do's and don'ts to become a member of a church. First of all, we're not an organization. We're an organism. We're a part of God's family. It's his body. The question is, are you part of his body? That's the question I have for you. Are you a child of God? Have you been born again? Has there been a tra trans regeneration of your life? And if you're a child of God and you've put your faith in Jesus Christ alone, then you are part of the body. Or the I should say the membership here at Calvary Chapel. Because that's the requirement here, right? Are you a child of God? Do you give your life to Jesus Christ? I guess you're a member. <laughs> this is where God's called you. This is where he wants you to, to serve him and to worship him and to be in fellowship. Then I guess you're a member here. 
but you don't have, no, there's not going to be no dues. No, I, there's no requirement. And that's the other thing that causes a lot of challenges here. If someone comes in and says, well, where do I sign up to do something? Where's the list of things we have to do? Why haven't you asked me to do things? I don't ask you to do anything. There's no rules. There's no regulations here. Come, sit, worship, fellowship, in love, love God, love others. And then just let us know what God is doing in your life and where he wants you to serve in the body. Because until I get to know you, I don't know if you're a thumb or a tongue or a big toe. I, I just don't know where you fit. But if you sit and hang with us long enough, I'm going to get to know you and see what, by God's grace, what uh, spiritual gifts he's given you to be used in the body. That means we just have to hang with each other. We call it coffee time in here. And we figure out what God is doing in and through your life. And then I'm just going to fan it. I'm just going to encourage it and equi help equip you. And just, what can we do? Like I said, two ladies said, we have a lending library. We love this. And I think it's going to benefit the body. Praise God. It falls in line. We agree with this. Equipping the saints. Now, my job is to figure out, make that happen with resources that God has given us through the tithes, gifts, and offerings, and the body of resources of you and I and skill sets. Thank God we have a lot of young, healthy people here who can lift and move things. Because that's going to take what it's going to take to get that bookstore up and running. But see, I don't, there's no requirement to it. If God's called you here, you're already in the body of Christ. It's just a little segment here called we call Calvary Chapel. Are you with me? You can walk. Because if you're new here for the very first time, you get to be here for the next 60, 90 days. Just sit, be still, know, confirm that this is where God called you to fellowship and be partaking in, in the fellowship and, and serving with us. You have no pressure at all. None. I want you to grow and to learn and get to know people and just love Jesus. And love one another. And Paul says, Therefore, who supplies the Spirit to you? Who's doing the work in your life? Who's doing these miraculous things in your life that even you are shocked that you're not doing the things you used to do? And not going in places where you used to go? Or not reacting the way you used to react? Now you, you look for ways to reach them with the gospel versus taking their head off. It's amazing transformation in your life. And you don't even know how it happened because you cannot take credit for it because... You know that God did the work, and you didn't do a work to do it. You're just allowing God to miraculously do it, and it was by the hearing of faith. By sitting and hearing what God has for you by the word of God. And he comes in, and he molds and shapes us and changes, and not because you kept a bunch of rules. And do's and don'ts. The great questions that Paul has given to them there in Galatia and to us today. Four questions you should ask and I should ask myself. Because the fruit is produced in our lives not because of our righteousness, but because of faith. You abide in Christ. 
get close to Christ, and fruit will be produced in your life. It's just a matter of time. And it's natural. It takes time. But it will happen. And But we must put our trust. We must put that faith in him doing the work and not you figuring out what and how you're going to do the work. Be free of that. Because that's, and I have one more question for you, and we'll end here. What is your solid basis for grace in your life? Have you personally chose, and do you personally continue to choose today on one of two things? Will you earn and deserve your blessing from God, or will you believe and receive it? How will you live your life? Which will it be? Personally, do you believe you will be blessed by the works of the law, by the things you do? Work, 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 work. Did a lot for the Lord today. Boy, am I going to be blessed by God today. Is that how you do your walk with Christ? Or is it by hearing of faith? Your solid basis for grace is in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, alone. Father, again, we thank you, and we praise you and honor you and glorify you this day. We thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that you use this man, Paul, to speak not only to the Galatian people, but you use your word today to speak to us. And may we be children of yours that we listen, we hear your truth, and we just respond out of obedience by living by faith and not by sight. Living by grace and not by the law. That we would let the things of the law or the things of the past or legalism and religiosity, Lord, just let that fade away from us and let you dominate it in our lives. Have your way, we pray. And we thank you and do praise you for all my brothers and sisters here in our time of fellowship to follow. And again, Lord, we thank you for all your blessings. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen.